Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Aren't you thankful for His love? Wow, that song is powerful. I have just some opening comments before we open uh, and pray. And I want you to pull this insert out of your bulletin, and, and, and you can also turn in Colossian, to Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. But I wanted to just bring out that Last week, Dan shared about the home life, and so today we're, we're transitioning from the home life to um, how we uh, deal with uh, outsiders, as I think in our text, but you could say non-Christians. And so that's going to be our subject, and if you look in your, in your insert there, I have two points, main points, and this, uh, so prayer is going to be the first point, and I'm not going to be able to speak to everything about prayer, but my desire today is to basically draw out what Scripture says, this Scripture says about prayer. And then the second point, uh, to be wise in our behavior towards non-Christians. So uh, what an important and practical thing that God gives us in His Word, and, and it's, it was so uh, stunning for me to go through this, how practical God's Word is. And if you remember now, Paul is, you know, we've been journeying, for those of you who are visiting, we've been journeying all the way through Colossians. And so we're coming near the end. And the next week, uh, um, Andre from Living Word is going to be taking the last message with the final greeting. But I wanted to just uh, share a little bit about... uh, we know from Scripture in Acts 1.8, it says, when the Holy Spirit comes, um, that you will be my witness, right? And so we know that we are Christ's witnesses. And so sometimes I've done this in past messages. I share kind of the negative, and then later we'll get into what Scripture says. So I'm going to give three uh, examples of the wrong kind of witnessing, okay? And then uh, we'll have our prayer, and we'll get into God's Word. So the first uh, wrong kind of witnessing is experience-centered evangelism, and that's uh, inappropriate. Uh, It focuses not on delineating the gospel message from Scripture passages, but on a person's uh, testimony of personal feelings and experiences. The obvious danger in this method is that people may not really understand the gospel at all, yet respond to what was said emotionally and think that they are saved. And that's one of the reasons in this church we've uh, emphasized when people write their testimonies to have Scripture in your testimony and have Scripture that would explain the Gospel so that when you give your testimony, there's indeed Scripture in there that can literally save someone. So another, uh, I would say, wrong kind of evangelism or Uh, the kind to be avoided, is ego-focused evangelism. This evangelism sells Jesus as the panacea for all of life's problems and as the source of earthly comfort, well-being, and prosperity. It promises that continual happiness and freedom from struggle are available through him in this life. This is man-centered and not God-centered. And then the last one, is expedience evangelism. And uh, this is a a method also to be avoided. This wrong method uses high-pressure tactics, manipulation, cleverness, emotional stimulation, or technique to to force commitments. And this often results in false professions of faith. And so those are three examples of what we were trying to avoid when we evangelize or witness. And so uh, this message will talk about how we ought to speak to non-Christians, being wise in our behavior towards non-Christians. And of course, we'll also be uh, talking about prayer. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that your word is so practical that it tells us exactly uh, what you desire from us as we uh, are Christians and we desire to live in a way that pleases you. And so, Lord, we're thankful for this text that, that makes it clear uh, 
uh, how we are to live, and indeed uh, how we should pray as well. So Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to be here among us. I pray that uh, you would speak through me and let your word be applied to each as they have need today. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I'd like to read uh, Colossians uh, chapter 4. We're going to read verses 2 through 6. So you can follow along and you can keep your Bibles open because as if you've been heard my preaching before, I try to just take a bite-sized piece at a time. And so I'll be doing that again today, trying to basically draw out of the text what's in there and uh, taking it uh, um, piece by piece. And so we read, uh, starting in verse 2, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So that's our text today. And uh, I, I don't mes- mention this throughout in the message, so you know we have to remember Paul is literally in chains, right? He's under house arrest in, um, in this, when he writes this. And we see that referenced uh, in, in this text. And uh, what an amazing example Paul is for us, uh, a man so passionate to serve the Lord. And so I wanted to start out maybe just by asking, how's your prayer life? And I think that, you know, it's good for us as Christians sometimes to take an honest look at ourselves. And, um, and so, you know, that, that maybe is something that you can do after the message or later today and, and ask God to just help you to look at your prayer life. And, and I know from uh, my own personal life that uh, I feel I have a lot to grow yet in my prayer life. And um, I sometimes have uh, prayed... Uh, you know, reflecting on the day, just uh, in my bed, leaning back, uh, kind of assessing the day, and then and then offering prayer for what I have kind of planned for tomorrow. And, and I wouldn't say that that's wrong, but there's uh, a time for focused prayer, and and that's something that we're going to be looking at. And so, uh, one of the beautiful thoughts that came to uh, while I was studying this is you think about a, a person like a baby Christian. Some of the first speech or cries are to God. What a beautiful thought that, that some of the very first speech of a Christian is crying out to God. And so even as we know, uh, babies start speaking a few words. And this is, ought to be clear in our mind. This is what prayer is. It's, it's talking to God, right? And that's a, a natural thing as when we become a believer. So prayer is the most important speech the new man can utter. Prayer is the strength of the believer's fellowship with the Lord. And so, um, starting in, I'm going to start here in verse 2, starting to break down individually what we have in our text today. And so, we read, uh, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So, the first thing, my first point is perseverance in prayer. So, devote yourselves to prayer, be steadfast, endure to be courageously persistent or to hold fast and not let go. Always maintain the habit of prayer. We often think of bad habits, right, when we talk about habits, but we can have good habits, the habit of prayer. Praying at all times is not necessarily limited to constant vocalizing of prayers to God. Rather, it refers to a God consciousness that relates every experience in life to Him. Still, there is a need for persistent, earnest prayer to our Father. And I have a parable here that Jesus told of Luke 18, 1-8, and I'll read this off the overhead, and, and we can get a picture of what Jesus was referring to when he was talking about persistent prayer. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always, they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city... There was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. 
And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And even as I looked at this text, I was first going to leave that last line off, but I thought, no, that's, that's why we pray. It's because of that faith, right? And so that we are called to have faith, to be persistent in prayer. And um, another example, I don't have the text, this is out of Genesis 32, but remember the story about Jacob, how he wrestled with God, right? He was anticipating meeting Esau, and he was very afraid for himself and for his family. And it says uh, that he wrestled with God, but listen to what he said. He said, I will not uh, let you go unless you bless me. Wow, what a powerful prayer. Have you ever prayed that prayer? If you're in, if you're in a struggle, uh, you know, we have that example from Jacob. He literally wrestled with God. It's such an amazing scripture that he, uh, would, he, he, he was uh, so desiring of that blessing that he hung on for dear life, as it were. And um, so the point of the parable is if unwilling and sinful humans will honor persistent, how much more will our holy, loving, heavenly Father and I just want to say uh, that we always need to have either in our um, spirit or literally say that we want God's will to be done, right? Because when we're persistent, we don't want to be uh, demanding in the sense that um, we know what's best. We don't want to be arrogant to say, we know what's best and, and God, you've got to do this for me. So don't think of persistent that way, but just think of uh, just continuing to to lay your request before him. And then always with, the, with that in mind that your will be done. And if your will, if, if you have another plan for me, that's okay. And that always needs to be an important part of our prayer. So the next part of our text, we have uh, being watchful in prayer. And in its most basic sense, it means to stay awake and not fall asleep during prayer. And I thought, yeah, that makes sense. It is broader than that, but, but sometimes I, I think of it this way. Like, I make a habit of praying before every meal. And, and sometimes uh, I, I have people in my memory that I pray for as a list. But sometimes when I get done praying and I start eating, I think, did I, did I pray? And, and that is, it kind of tells me that I was, it was too uh, just by rote without really any thought put into it. And I don't think that's what we want. We want to, to be alert in the sense, and we'll talk more about that. And so that's an example, I think, of uh, where we need to be focused. Remember when our Lord was praying in Gethsemane, Gethsemane, and he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. He said to them, watch and pray that you may not enter, in, uh, enter temptation. Christians should choose times when they are awake and alert to pray. And one example that I have in my own, since I've uh, been privileged to bring the word here, um, I can't study at night. I don't study at night because I just, it seems like I can't focus. And maybe you can relate to this in, in your jobs or things. But for me, the best is if I could do it in the morning. And then it's, it's best even if, like uh, at I do it at work sometimes in the mornings, but it's even better if it's on a Saturday when there's no distractions, right? Somebody comes into the room. Or, and so this is, I think, uh, value prayer and think of prayer that it's so important that you would set aside the, the best time of day when your mind is the sharpest. And, and uh, so that's, I think, what we're learning there. Uh, Paul's thought here, however, is broader than mere physical alertness. 
He also means believers should look for those things about which they ought to be praying. As Christians, we sometimes pray vague, general prayers. It is better to pray for something specific. To be devoted to prayer requires something specific to pray for. We will never persistently pray for something we are not concerned about. And to be concerned, we must be alert to specific needs. And a couple examples of this, um, I have a list of people that I pray for. And, and so, um, like Lee Taylor is here today, praise the Lord. And I've, I've been praying for Lee, but see, it's better for me to call Lee. And I called him uh, a couple weeks ago, and I said to Lee, how are you doing? And, and he told me he was having problems with his back. And so they did, took a whole bunch of pictures, and he just told me this morning they haven't really figured out what's wrong. But see, now I have something specific to pray for Lee. And I think that's a, an important part. If you have people on your list, maybe it's you call them once in a while and you say, how are you doing? Is there something specific? And another example that I have is uh, of being aware of what's going on around you. You think about this uh, Supreme Court nominee and how huge this is for our country. Now, um, that's the, the being aware that there's a battle going on in this country. And this Supreme Court nominee, uh, it, it could make a huge difference in, our, in the direction of our country. And so... This is another example of being aware, and I just think that uh, it's it's uh, it's just it's a constant uh, looking around for people's needs. Um, there's lots of ways that we can be aware of what's going on. So my next point is uh, to be thankful in prayer, and being thankful is so important. Otherwise, our prayers tend to become a list of our wants and needs. Being thankful for what God has already done should help us in our praise and worship of our Savior. And uh, I'll, I'll use my father-in-law as an example. Before a meal when he prays, he often prays, uh, thank you, God, for salvation. Thank you for coming and dying on the cross. Think about, we could pray for that uh, every day. That's such a, an important part. And uh, yes, we're thankful for the food and other things, but... Uh, other things that I wrote down um, that we, are, we should be thankful for is for spiritual growth. And uh, I think this is another good prayer request too because we can look back and see how far God has brought us. But as we look forward, uh, we want to grow more. And think about God would love to answer that prayer, would, would he not? You know what I mean? To, to, that we would all grow. And then uh, also thank God for fellowship with his church, and also with Christ himself. And then uh, also uh, we can be thankful for opportunities to serve others, both outside and inside the church. And then my next point is, uh, as we see in our text, that God may open to us a door for the word. And then he says to declare the mystery of Christ. And we've talked about this in the past in Colossians, when we're talking about the mystery of Christ, it's because in the Old Testament, it was hidden that what was going to happen at some point in history. And so now we know the mystery of Christ is, in a sense, the gospel, right? When Jesus came on earth, uh, died on the cross, so those who trust in him can be saved. But we need to pray for that open door. And um, so that's something that uh, we need to focus on. Um, Believers are to pray for open doors because it is God who opens them. And uh, some of these things we know, we could say yes, but I think sometimes we just need to uh, be reminded of it. And in Acts uh, 14.27, this is talking about Paul and Barnabas, and it says, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So it was God that opened that door. And then we read in Revelations 3, 7, uh, the second part of the verse, and this describes uh, Jesus as the one who opens, and it says, no one will shut, and who shuts, and no one will open. Okay, So this just makes it so clearly that 
when we think about uh, the gospel and evangelizing and being a witness, it's important that we ask for God to open the door. And often we think about that with missionaries like Janelle, and uh, who's here, praise the Lord, uh, if you haven't noticed. So, uh, but, but we pray that God would open the door, but we need to pray for that for ourselves as well, that with a neighbor, and, and so I'm starting to pray that way with the list of people that I have that I want to bring the gospel to. I'm, I'm asking the Lord, open a door for me so that I could, uh, in conversation, um, point them to Jesus. And so the second point on your outline that I handed to you is uh, uh, be wise in our behavior towards non-Christians. And the ESV says, uh, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And so um, this was really blew me away uh, when I studied this text about um, how practical God's Word is and uh, how important this is for us as believers. Um, what believers are gives credibility to what they say. Wisdom involves properly evaluating circumstances and making godly decisions. Believers are to exhibit a carefully planned, consistent, righteous Christian life. If those who say they are believers live as fools, outsiders will denigrate the faith and shun the gospel. That's kind of a scary thought because we're all sinners, and, and I know I've done a lot of foolish things even since I've been committed to the Lord. And so this is something that was, uh, hit me pretty hard as I studied this. Only if believers live wisely will the watching world see the power of God at work in them. And uh, be warned, believers can live like fools. And I have three examples. There could be many more. Um, but I think these, it was good for, for, it'll be good for us to look at these three examples of, of foolish living. So one would be living for money. And we have this text, uh, 1 Timothy 6.9. And it says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So there's one example to be avoided. And then I have another text here in Galatians 3, 1 through 3. And this is uh, foolish if Christians uh, live uh, legalistically. And I think there's a danger Sometimes, maybe as the longer you become a Christian, you start kind of making lists and, and thinking in that sense. And you start looking at other people with your list and kind of see if they measure up. And we don't want to be that way. And we can read this text together. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So they saw Jesus walk on earth. They, see, they, they knew it, he went to the cross to forgive sins. And then he says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And then the last uh, way that we can live foolishly as Christians is um, with jealousy and selfish ambition. And here we have James uh, 3.16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And boy, we better be aware that this can happen in a church as well as, you know, anywhere. And so um, even myself as a leader, if it's, if it's, all, if it's all about me, um, I need to be on my guard and you need to come to me and say, kind of looked like it was all about you maybe or try to figure out a way to share that graciously but but that's not how our leaders are to be to be uh to be for our own glory and for our own selfish ambition and so i'll share uh, four areas of wisdom okay so these are ways that we can uh, uh walk in wisdom we, we we said in our text here that we are to walk in wisdom uh, with outsiders. And so in Proverbs 9.10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, uh, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. 
Okay, we often talk about insight. And where does insight come? It comes from knowledge of the Holy One. Where do we get that knowledge? It's, it's in God's Word. And, and oftentimes the word fear, some people, because we don't use it in, in the context it's used in the Bible, um, we need to remember that fear is, is like a reverence. Okay? Having a reverence for, for God and, and, and an awe of God. And that also includes... Uh, the idea of obedience um, to God. And sometimes I think, and I was sharing this with uh, the Dave's boys there, the other, I remember this two, three months ago about take seriously your walk with the Lord. Remember we talked about that after church one time and, and I was t- sharing a text with them. But, but um, you know, this walk with the Lord is, is not something to uh, take lightly, I would say. And then uh, another way... Um, for us to gain wisdom is uh, prayer. And then James 1-5, through 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And so there we, we see that uh, we need to ask. And I know at, at times in my life, I felt like, especially as an elder, and sometimes you have to make decisions and I need... I thought, man, I'm, I don't know if I'm wise enough for this, you know. And, and so we need to ask God for wisdom. And so that's an important part. Bible study is point number three here. In Colossians 3, verse 16a, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And... Uh, when I was kind of struck with the, the point of uh, that I, I need to be wise, and yet I feel like sometimes there's with decisions, uh, I, I didn't know for sure what to do. I started to study Proverbs. And, and for, I think, about six months, I, I made that a point to just study nothing but Proverbs. And uh, I know that Paul Bauer, who some of you know, used to be a member here, I, I know that he's been studying for years and years on Proverbs been focused on proverbs and and maybe as long as 20 years i didn't get the exact number but but i think about what an important part for wisdom and uh and i know that just from the six months that even in business uh things that making decisions it says in proverbs that you make um, i'm paraphrasing but you make better decisions with many counselors okay so even in business sometimes you know, you ask other people. And so there's, there's benefits in God's Word, in, uh, in especially in Proverbs, in the area of wisdom. And then fourthly, I have a godly instruction. Colossians 1.28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Okay? So this is not just for the elders to do, but I think, we need to, to be on our guard for each other, right? Because um, you guys are hanging out with each other, and so if something doesn't seem right in a person's life, we ought to be able to graciously, I think uh, privately is always best, but maybe they need to be warned. Or uh, maybe you can share a scripture with them that God had taught you in an area of life. And so this isn't just for, uh, for the leaders, but I think for all of us to... Uh, to help uh, instruct each other. So it is only through walking in wisdom that believers' words will mean anything. And so I'm moving on now in verse 5, the second part of verse 5, making the best use of the time. And uh, I, I did a message once out of uh, Psalm 90 that Moses wrote. And I was blown away when I thought, Moses wrote Psalm 90? I didn't realize that until I had studied that but he he says in psalm 90 verse 12 teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom okay and so what does he mean by that think about that um we need to make the most of the time god gives us on this earth live with the right priorities it's so important for us to even this is something that maybe it's good to do once a year or more often, and, and maybe even if you're married as a couple and say, do we have our priorities right? You know, lives get so busy, 
And so I think that we really need to, to spend the time to say, do we, we know time is short. And I told my daughter one time, I've to- shared this with some of you, but I said to my daughter that I wanted to uh, make the most of whatever time God has given me because I'm kind of estimating I've got 15 years left. And she said to me, oh, no, Dad. You know, she didn't even want to think about that, right? But, I, but I'm 55. I'll be 56 here next month. And I think, uh, yeah, if you live to be 70 years, you know, maybe God gives you more, but that's kind of an average. And so when you think that way, you think, wow, I better make the use. 15 years is going to go by fast. I know that if I look back, how fast time has gone. And so I just think that it's good for us. It's not uh, kind of morbid. I don't think look at it that way. I look at it as getting those priorities right and, and running hard for the Lord until uh, he takes us home. And so, uh, verse uh, 6a, let your speech always be gracious. And uh, it was interesting, I, I use the Phillips translation sometimes because they word it differently, and I'm trying to figure out what's meant, and, and it says, uh, speak pleasantly to them. Huh? We, often we have these words that we use in the Christian church that we use so often, sometimes we forget what they mean, but think about that, speak pleasantly. I thought, wow, that's, and that's not just uh, to outsiders or people that are non-Christians, but that's to your wife, uh, to your children, and to everybody around us, to people you do business with, um, to salespeople. I mean, this is what we are to be characterized by, and uh, that's a, that's also kind of heavy almost to think about that because it's tough uh, to live that way, and uh, when I studied this, I, I read uh, that our speech is, is kind of uh, like a thermometer. And uh, sometimes we, you know, we, if, we, if, we're, if we're not feeling well, they take your temperature, right? See how physically you're doing. But spiritually, uh, when I studied this, it said in one of the commentaries that uh, speech can be like a spiritual thermometer, which I, I thought was kind of scary to think that way <laughs> in some ways, but... But anyways, uh, when our Lord told the Pharisees, this is out of Matthew 12, uh, 34b, the second part of the verse, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, you see? So what comes out of your mouth, Jesus is saying, is coming from your heart. Jesus gives an important spiritual principle. Speech will reflect the kind of person one is. And then in Matthew 12, 37, We read, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. A person's words will be outward evidence of their inward character. And and because the tongue can speak so easily and is difficult to control, a person's speech becomes the truest indicator of his spiritual state. And so um, there is no place for those things that characterize the unredeemed mouth. Whether undergoing persecution, stress, difficulty, or injustice, whether with your spouse, children, believers, or unbelievers, in all circumstances, believers are to make gracious speech a habit. To speak with grace means to say what is uh, spiritual, wholesome, fitting, kind, sensitive, Purposeful, uh, complementary, gentle, truthful, loving, and thoughtful. <clears throat> our, and then we're moving on uh, to the next part, which it says our speech is to be gracious, uh, seasoned with salt. And um, in the directory or uh, in your insert, I said uh, use some salt in your speech with uh, truth in parentheses. And we'll talk more about that later. But um, so when applied to, in this situation, there's a number of uh, references to this in in Scripture about salt. But in this situation, with the conversation in mind, the metaphor suggests speaking in an interesting, stimulating, and wise way. Gracious speech, yes, but also we want to have an effect. And I think this is going to be a very important part as we look at this last part of the message is that you know, uh, part of being gracious is we want to uh, 
be, we want to see people come to know the Lord, right? And so we could sometime maybe just lay the law down with people and say, this is, this is the truth, and, and we'd be right. But, but will it have the des- desired effect to have them really look at their lives and to ask God, you know, um, to help them? I mean, th- I think there's a way to, to do it that it's helpful for people to see if, for example, if you're, as we talked about earlier, about pointing out a, f- uh, a sin in someone's life, if you just go to them and say, I got it right here, you are out of line. You see, I think there's a better way, and, and, and it's easy. It, and the easiest way to think about it is how would you want somebody to come to you? And that's what I was just sharing earlier. I prefer you'd come to me in private and, uh, and, and, uh, and be gracious, and, and, but yet I need to hear the truth. And so I think that's helpful for us when we think about that. So I want to go back uh, in the order kind of to verse 4 because it fits in with this text about what our speech is to be to non-Christians. And so if you look in your Bibles in verse 4, it says that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Okay, Paul is saying that, that he wants to make it clear which is how he ought to speak. So Paul was speaking about declaring the mystery of Christ, which as we said is the gospel. Our goal is to point people to Jesus. So somehow or some way, drop some breadcrumbs throughout your conversation that will lead people to the cross. And I just thought of that. You know, we know that story about somebody dropping breadcrumbs. Of course, that doesn't work if the birds come and eat it, right? So that analogy doesn't work. But you see what I'm saying? When you talk to people, I had a gentleman I'll share that, uh, and I use truck drivers, seems like every time I preach about a truck driver, and, but I, w- I don't need to use his name and he doesn't live in the area here. But, but he, was, um, he has a job with this trucking organization, a big organization, they have like 100 trucks. And, uh, but he told me he was homeless. And so uh, I quite often give, a, give out a freebie piece of cheese and I jokingly say, you take care of my product. And, but, but I was starting to build a relationship with this man, and, and, and I never asked for any details of this, but he told me uh, not only was he homeless, but he was living with a gal, and, and uh, he has no transportation. He had to walk to work. I was amazed that he had this job, and I said, well, you know, I think good things are coming financially for you because you have this job with this good company. But he shared uh, other things with me, uh, you know, struggles with this girlfriend he was living with and, and stuff. So, so uh, about the third or fourth time he came, uh, I, I told him that I was a Christian and, and, and that I had lived, a, I was raised in a Christian home, but I'd lived a very rebellious life. And, and, but but uh, I turned to the Lord and, and became a Christian. And so later I thought, and I shared this with Dan the other day, that maybe it would have been better if I said I'm a follower of Jesus. But you see, I'm trying to give this man uh, something, uh, like I used the analogy of breadcrumbs, but I'm trying to give him something to see there's a, there is a way out. And he told me that the judge had a, like a restraining order. On, he almost took, they almost took the kid away and, and all these things. And even though I don't know all the details, I know that it's kind of a symptom of worldly living. And so I'm trying to, to point him to Jesus Christ. So that's an example, I think, of how in our conversations, and I think we need to be creative, and I think it always comes across better to share something maybe God taught you than to say, you know, you're, you should be doing this, or, you know, but just and because I think it's less, uh, it's less confrontational, and maybe uh, people will he- actually hear. I think if we say it wrongly, they'll just kind of close their ears, and, and they won't listen. So our goal is to point people to Jesus. And uh, we uh, moving on here, uh, um, I, I wrote down, uh, sometimes, you know, you can talk about creation. We, weather is kind of, the, kind of the go-to thing if you've got nothing else to say, right? So we talk about the weather. We do that in the church even. But, but I think there's a way to, to, to praise God that he, he made everything out of nothing. 
you know, I mean, that's a way to kind of get people, in a sense, to look at the world a little differently. And um, so make sure you know and understand the basics of the gospel and can share that when the time is right. And so that's part of uh, what Paul was asking, uh, that I may make it clear which is how I, how I ought to speak. And so that's something that it's important that we know the basics of the gospel because how, you know, I'm just throwing out these small things crumbs but eventually if he were to say to me uh, like the jailer did in the bible uh, how can i be saved then then it's on us that we should have some knowledge in that regard and so i used uh, john 3:16, and i i have it on the even though it's so familiar but i thought this is a good uh, scripture that would kind of uh encapsulate the gospel and uh, so i kind of in my notes i broke it up and made just a little statement about each each section, and so I'll first read the thing uh, through. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. So I took a few minutes to think about what that means, and I wrote down just to jotted a few thoughts about the different parts. So the part where God uh, loved the world, I wrote, the holy God created the world out of nothing, and it was perfect. And man rebelled and chose sin. And then the second part of our text, that God gave His only Son. I wrote, Jesus was sent to earth to suffer and die to bear the penalty for sins. And then we have in our text, whoever believes in Him. And this implies a personal trust in Jesus to save. And then the last part, or the second to the last part, should not perish. So, this is a this is an opening to talk about something we none of us want to talk about is hell, and I wrote uh, eternal judgment for our sin is canceled right if we if we trust in Jesus and uh, confess our sins to Jesus um, that we won't perish, but the the seriousness of that is in that text, and then lastly, but have eternal life, the life of abundant joy an immeasurable blessing in the presence of God forever. And as we talked about in evangelism, some people go through great trials on this earth and that, that joy, uh, I think there's joy in this journey even with amongst trials, but, but the future is really the f- full fulfillment of that promise. Because otherwise, people that are going through trials and struggles i think of lee and and even merv with his situation um you know we might be discouraged or charlotte but we look uh that that this ultimate fulfillment is that uh god will show us kind immeasurable kindness it says in his word uh for for forever it's it's a hard to even fathom what that will be so in the last part of our text today in uh, verse six so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. An answer implies that outsiders will ask questions about our life in Christ if we have been wise in our behavior towards them. Many questions are predictable, but each questioner is an individual and must be respected and loved as such. I think that's important because if we have just kind of a memorized deal and and I think you're a non-Christian, and I start just kind of like a, like, a, like a phone message or something. just kind of start spitting it out. And this, this, this. I don't think that's really the, the, most, the best way. And uh, so in all of this, I would say God can do amazing things. And I'll talk about this at the end. I don't want people to be so fearful that they don't want to open their mouth because uh, that's not what we want. But I think that it's just... It's just thinking again about how would you, if you were a non-Christian and somebody came to you, how would you like them to present the gospel to you, right? To, to have a, a care and a love to, for people to know that that's why you're reaching out to them, right? Wouldn't you want to know that they, they, they want your best? And then with that avenue to share. So if the answer is heard or felt, as a rebuke for ignorance, the argument may be won, but the person lost. 
Just try to put yourself in their shoes and to treat them as you would want to be treated. And then, just in closing, I, I, I wrote down here, you know, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Sometimes, you know, we think about, we know we should be doing this, and, and, and we put pressure on ourselves. And, and I wrote down, it's okay if you feel weak and lacking in the ability to point people to Jesus. I feel the same way. I, I, as, as long as I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years, and this has always been a passion of mine, and I've been trying to grow in this area, but, but I don't feel adequate sometimes to have this wisdom and to fully do this. And I was reminded in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, and this was Paul, um, he says, uh, but he said to me, talking about the Lord, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's design to use us, though we are weak, is to demonstrate his power and that his grace is enough to accomplish all that he has planned. And so think of the beauty of that. Rest in that. I think that our goal is to make an effort and to do the best we can to pray for wisdom, to study the scriptures, and then, and then when we do uh, talk with someone, um, just rest in that. It's, it's, it's God's power. And the beautiful thing about it is um, when God uses you, uh, it's all His glory, right? Because none of us feel uh, so adequate, so smooth, and, and all this. But we, we can just rest in that. That's okay, because God gets the glory that way, right? If I was just perfect Mr. Smooth and had the most wisdom and could do everything perfectly, then pretty soon I might be boastful and think, wow, John's pretty good at this. But because I'm weak, uh, God gets the glory. And so I wrote down glory to his name, right? We often sing that, you know, in songs, glory to his name. Think about uh, what, a, what an amazing God. He's given us this task to be ambassadors, but the glory is his. And so um, I'm just uh, want to uh, have you pull out this uh, bulletin just in closing, and I want to read uh, this, and you can follow along with me because I have two things here. One is I have the Phillips translation, and I'll use this just as kind of a wrap-up, and I'll use the Phillips translation of our text, and then I have a quote, and I want to speak a few words about that. And so we read... Uh, uh, Always maintain the habit of prayer. Be both alert and thankful as you pray. Include us in your prayers, please, that God may open for us a door for the entrance of the gospel. Pray that we may talk freely of the mystery of Christ, for which I am present in chains, and that I may make, uh, and I may make that mystery plain to men, which I know is my duty. Be wise in your behavior towards non-Christians and make the best possible use of your time. Speak pleasantly to them, but never sentimentally and learn to give a proper answer to every questioner. And I just want you to note, uh, when I first read Never Sentimentally, I just about fell out of my chair because that was so different than what the ESV said. And the ESV on that part says, seasoned with salt. And, and the, the good thing about studying, you say, well, why did they say that, right? And sometimes I think with, sen with sentimentality is there's too much emotion and not enough uh, reason or truth. And so I think that's, that's why it was in there. And, and just that alone, I learned something there. And I think that's a, a, a caution for us. Um, I sometimes watch ESPN, you know, they've got these sports stories, right? And they call it the power of sports or E60. And they have an amazing, amazing stories, right, of people who've done amazing things. And, and pretty much almost all of it is, is it doesn't have God in the picture. But I was thinking, so here we have something that's it's very emotional to see someone, you know. But, but how valuable is it if it doesn't point people to Jesus? And I think, so when we talk with people, um, yeah, be, speak pleasantly, be friendly, have fun. You know, you can, I think I'm sometimes like to joke around with people 
And sometimes I get myself in a little trouble and I worry about that. But I think people, people know your heart, right? If they see. And, and another way I like uh, my son-in-law sometimes says, uh, no worries, right? Don't, don't let people be on, uh, walking around on eggshells, so to speak, they say, right? Just put them at ease, right? And, and that will help us to have more of an avenue for the gospel. But look at me in closing with this last comment. My daughter uh, said, when I shared this with her at work one day, she said, there's a quote by Timothy Keller about that. And so I want to read that, and you can follow along with me. Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent. The conviction and repentance moves us to cling to and rest in God's mercy and grace. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, it is our desire to cling to You and to rest in Your grace and mercy. But first, Lord, it's, it's good for us to always uh, look back on our lives and see if we need to come to the cross this morning. And confess, Lord, I know I, I confess that there were times where I have not spoken uh, pleasantly with those around me. Not just non-Christians, but others. And so, Lord, I confess that uh, and, I, and I, I ask for wisdom, Lord, to do better. And Lord, I just pray uh, uh, You would continue to teach me how to be wise in talking with others. And Lord, for those who may be here who, has never, who have never committed their life to Jesus, I pray that this might be their day of salvation. Lord, I pray that they would uh, come to the cross, and, and when we say that, we mean come to Jesus and to confess their sins. And 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful thought that we can be uh, new and have a new start in life. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that has that desire in their heart, that they would uh, agree with that prayer and, and enter into uh, salvation even today. Lord, be with us now in this closing number. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.